If you are a first-time visitor or you haven't gotten one yet, if you'll just raise your hand. If you want a scripture journal of the book of Acts, just raise your hand and we'll have somebody come get you one. Just keep it in the air. Um, we just want to make sure we get the word of God into your hands so that you can be uh, reading along with us because we think the word of God is powerful and relevant for us today. So uh, keep your hands up and we'll have somebody bring one to you um, because Acts chapter 4 is where we are going to be this morning. So um, I just want to recap. I want to let you know that what we're reading this morning in our scripture this morning um, is really part three of uh, the, the last three weeks that we've been looking at back in uh, Acts chapter 3 and into Acts chapter 4. And this, uh, this sermon this morning is going to be the third part and kind of like the finish to this uh, narrative or story of what has been going on with Peter and John. And so two weeks ago, if you were here, you remember that Pastor Daniel taught that week. And what we saw is that Peter and John, uh, they go up to the temple and, and a lame beggar comes up to them and asks them for money. And Peter and John both claim, hey, we don't have any money to give you, but what we do have you will give you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And they healed the beggar on the spot. And what Pastor Daniel really drew out of that text and what he wanted us to see uh, that morning is that Peter and John met this man in his need, that the, the Holy Spirit empowered them, he, he, just like he empowers us as the church, to meet people in their needs, and that they were empowered by the Holy Spirit to be agents of change and restoration in this man's life. And, and really, the point that Pastor Daniel tried to really drive home to us that morning was that, that God has given all of us um, time, talent, and treasure, and that we can use those things to witness to the glory of Jesus, that that is what God is calling us to as we seek to witness and make much of him, that we would use the time that God has given us, the talents that God has given us, and the treasure that God has given us to make much of Jesus, that that is our goal, and that Peter and John, that's all they're doing in that situation. Yeah, they're doing something miraculous, but it's just as miraculous to listen to a friend who's going through a difficult season and being there for them. That that is just as much a miracle, right, to be the people of God on mission for the glory of God to make much of him. And that's what Peter and John are doing. And that we, as an extension of the church that we see in the book of Acts, are living that out some 2,000 years later. And so we see that Peter and John meet this man in his need, that they live out their, their time, their talent, their treasure to make much of Jesus right there at the temple. Now, what Josh Fetterman shared with us last week as he preached to us is he said that as Peter and John lived out the implications of witnessing to the glory of Christ, sometimes we're going to come underneath persecution for that. And Peter and John are arrested, and what Josh shared with us is that, that in the midst of proclaiming Jesus as the Messiah, we need to be encouraged to be ready to be bold for the sake of the gospel. That, that because the Holy Spirit empowers us, we can expect persecution. Just so we are clear, Peter and John weren't arrested because they healed somebody. They were arrested for proclaiming that the power for that healing came through the person and work of Jesus Christ. And that as Peter and John step into persecution, what Josh shared with us is that, hey, some persecution is dangerous, Right? We read about martyrs. We read about people giving up their lives for the faith. We know the story that many of the apostles and the men that we read about and women in the book of Acts were killed for professing faith in Christ. But there is also persecution that is 
much less dangerous maybe from a, a life standpoint, but that we can still even here in the United States in 2019 suffer persecution for the cause of the gospel. That there is social implications at time for standing up for our faith and our belief in Jesus Christ. But that the Holy Spirit empowers us to stand up to persecution and boldly proclaim what Christ has done in our lives. And that Josh really encouraged us to embrace that and step into that by faith to trust and see what God might do through us if we stand up in the face of persecution. Now, I want to take a step back, and I want us to think for a second about the reality of what we face living in the United States in 2019. Because even living in the South, and obviously I, when I moved from the Mid-Atlantic to the South, I noticed some differences immediately. Like, first of all, y'all love sweet tea, and, and you are very, very, very quick to tell a Northerner, right, how wrong we get barbecue and sweet tea. All right, sure, you can have that. If that's what y'all want, that, that the hill that the South wants to die on, go for it, right? But as I moved down here, I also realized that the, the cultural kind of um, just posture was one that was still a little bit more favorable towards the church and towards Christianity than the one that I had come from. But what I want us to realize this morning is that in the United States, if you can't realize this, you need to understand this, that the, the, the cultural posture is one that is moving from acceptance and um, uh, one of openness and one of a place of prominence for the church in society. That we are moving rapidly as a, as a culture in the United States to one where the church is not going to have a place at the table and prominence in popular culture. It's just the reality. We are moving into a post-Christian culture. If you've spent any time in the northeast part of the United States, they are already there and have been there for quite some time. And it's, and it's working its way into the south because the south has been a little bit slower to embrace that. But overall, that is the direction that we are heading. And I don't think we need to sit back and uh, belabor that and become saddened about that and to cry about that because the reality is, is when I see the movement and culture around us, I'm actually really, really encouraged, especially when I study the book of Acts because the reality, because our culture is moving to a decidedly post-Christian posture, that's a lot like Roman culture. If you think about the early church, think about Rome. Roman culture was prosperous. It was powerful. It valued tolerance across multiple belief systems. They were incredibly uh, open to diversity of beliefs and opinions, right? And they valued, as a culture, right, the exploration of sexual ethics. Sound familiar? It sounds very similar to what I see, right, being touted across college campuses, across our country, and in the media, and across popular culture. And by the way, if you hear, I am not talking about those things being good or bad things, so don't go home and say, Pastor Kevin hates those things. He hates change. It's not what I'm talking about. All I'm saying is that there are incredible parallels and symmetry between what I see from understanding Roman history and seeing the cultural predicament we find ourselves in in 2019 as the U.S. of A., there we go. I got the A out. I didn't know if I was going to make it there. I almost ran out of breath. 
My wife says all the time, when do you breathe when you preach? I don't know, honey. Okay, she's laughing at me right now. So, so here's what I want us to see, though. As we stand here, right, like, I'll, I'll just tell you guys right now. My dad, like, he thinks America is burning. He thinks it's on fire and that we need to hold on and take rescue of it and that the church is going to be one of the things that gets thrown to the side. And I'm here to tell you that the gates of hell will not prevail against Christ's church. And as we read the book of Acts, we should take great solace in the fact that whether we're going to enter into a season of blessing where the church is in a place of prominence in our culture or a place where we are pushed to the backside, not listened to and not loved, that the gospel will go forward in the midst of that if we agree to let the Holy Spirit empower our ministry. And if we agree to allow God to use us the way that he uses Peter and John here in Acts chapter 3 and Acts chapter 4. See, what we need to understand, though, is that growth often happens in the church in the face of persecution, not with a lack of it. That think about a presentation of the gospel today, guys. And most of us know, like, we've been connected with an evangelical church in some way, shape, or form at some point in our time. And if you think about evangelicalism and the way that it presents the gospel, how would you describe that? Because when I think about evangelicalism and the way that they describe following Jesus, it sounds a lot like this. Hey, come to Jesus. He, he's going to save you from your sin. And, and, and you're going to have a great life. And you're going to go to heaven one day, right? And you can have your best life now, and it's going to be awesome. Just follow Jesus, and he will make everything awesome. Okay. When I read scripture, I see that kind of language. But I also see 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 10 and 12. Look at what the Apostle Paul says here. You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch and at Iconium and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Rescued me. So like you're saying, oh yeah, God rescued him. See, like that's, we've got it right. And then look at verse 12. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will what? Be persecuted. Guys, let me, let, let me let you in on a little secret. When you come to me, you're like, man, life's really hard being a Christian. Yes. Jesus says, take up your cross and follow me. I don't, the, first of all, this, this, is a, this is a replica, but it's smaller than the real one. But this is what our Savior hung from. Right, when Jesus says that, he's not saying, hey, come to me so there can be a chicken in every pot and a car in every garage. No, he says, follow me and be willing to suffer and die because I am worthy. Right, and as we, as we see this, Scripture promises suffering for the gospel. And many times when you have a friend who is struggling with their faith because they feel like God is not present, it's not because of the suffering itself. It's because we did a bad job of discipling and telling people on the front end, hey, you can expect this as a follower of Jesus. But if we want to witness to the glory of Christ, if you're here this morning and you're a professing follower of Jesus, you should expect persecution at some point in some way, in some, some form. If you are not a Christian here this morning, let me be the first to tell you, life is not all roses and perfection as a follower of Jesus. But I can promise you this, 
it's better than what the world has to offer. That following Jesus is better than having perfect health. That following Jesus is better than having a six-figure salary. That following Jesus is better than having the perfect home with the picket fence with the wife and two kids. Jesus is better than all that. And what we're going to see this morning, right, in this third part of this understanding of seeing the disciples suffer persecution for the sake of witnessing to the glory of God, is we're going to see that the goal of persecution is to try to silence the church on declaring the glories of Jesus Christ. But God has given us through the Holy Spirit, he has empowered us to be able to endure and witness boldly as his people. In the passage that we're going to look at that, that Laura read for us earlier, right, there's four things that we're going to see this morning that I want you to pull out. Four ways that the Holy Spirit empowers us to suffer boldly and endure through that to witness to the glory of Jesus Christ. Right, here they are. Right, we can be encouraged to endure, one, right, by resting in Scripture and the promises that are in, that are in Scripture. We'll, we'll see that this morning. We're going to also see that we can be encouraged to endure by being vitally connected to gospel community, a.k.a. the church. Number three, that we can be encouraged to continue endure through persecution by understanding that God is sovereign over all things. And number four, we can be encouraged to endure by being committed to prayer consistently. And so I want to spend a little time unpacking each one of these things as we see them throughout this passage this morning. So go ahead and look at verse 24 in Acts chapter 4 with me. Look at what he says. When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And look at what they said next. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the sea, excuse me, and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit. And then here's what they, here's what they do, right? They quote Psalm 2. So here, here's what I want. I just want to peel this back for a minute. I want you to put yourself in the mindset of Peter and John and the other disciples that would have been there with them. Peter and John have just been released from prison, Right? They've been told, do not share the, the good news of Jesus Christ with anyone any further. Go heal whoever you want, you know, serve the poor, do whatever you want, but do not talk about Jesus being the Christ anymore. Do not do that. And so they leave, they immediately go to their friends, and here's what they do. They run to Scripture. They cling to it. They say, who through the mouth of our father David, talking about God, God himself, right, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit. And then look at what he says when he quotes Psalm 2. Why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. What is being communicated here? Why, why are they running to Psalm 2 in the midst of this persecution? Here's what they're saying, like, hey, hey, hold on, wait a minute. Yes, we just got arrested. Yes, that, that stunk. But God told us this was going to happen. Like God, God said, hey, hey, the Gentiles will rage, right? People will plot in vain. 
The kings of the earth will set themselves and the rulers will be gathered together against the Lord's anointed. Ultimately talking about who? Jesus. Right? What, what, they're, what they're seeing here as they, as they study the scriptures and open up God's word together is they're saying, hey, we can be encouraged that what we're walking through is exactly what God said would happen. He told us through David this is going to happen to us, that David was a mouthpiece for the Holy Spirit some 600 years before this ever comes to pass. And here's what we need to know, right? I, t- I talked about this a couple weeks ago, right? But, but here at Aletheia, here's what we believe about the Bible. We believe in something called verbal plenary inspiration, right? Verbal meaning it is the word of God, plenary meaning all of it, and inspiration meaning the Holy Spirit inspired the men who wrote these words, that's, that's what we believe. So, so when I say, hey, we read the Bible here and we care about the Bible here, we don't care about it because it's the most popular book ever sold. We don't care about it because we think there's some like magical powers that if you could do an incantation with it or whatever else, something is gonna happen. No, we believe it is God revealing himself to us through his word so that we know how God came to seek and save and redeem a sinful and broken mankind. And as we read this, we see that the disciples do this very same thing that we should be doing, right? Running and clinging to the word of God so that we might be encouraged by what God has promised and said would come to pass. I'm not going to go in depth on this, but a few weeks ago, I taught on how scripture, right, has, has the same effect on the disciples that it can have on, up, on us. And what we see scripture doing in the lives of people in the church is three things, Right? We see that scripture enlightens us, meaning that it teaches us things we need to know about God and who we are. We see that scripture encourages us, that we continue to see God's word come to pass. And guess what, guys? Just, just, if, you're, if you're struggling to follow with me here, let me just say this. If God promises things throughout the scripture and they come to pass, and there are future promises awaiting us from what God has promised, guess what, guess what we can do? We can bank on the fact that those promises are trustworthy and God is gonna come through because every time we look in scripture, God comes through. And so when we see God saying, hey, I'm gonna send my anointed and the Gentiles are gonna rage and the Jews are gonna turn against him and the rulers of the world are gonna turn on him and we're gonna see the Lord's anointed put under pressure and be persecuted and it comes to pass, we can say, hey, this is part of God's plan. God is doing what he said he would do and we can trust his word and we can take it to the bank and we can use it to encourage us even in the midst of persecution. And then lastly, what we see is that not only does scripture enlighten, not only does scripture encourage, but it also empowers. Because if you understand what God is doing and if you are encouraged and seeing God's promises at work in your life, because of the promises made in scripture, you can be empowered to trust God and know Jesus and obey him. You can be empowered to know that what God says is going to come to pass will come to pass in your life and you can trust that he is good even when it doesn't seem like it. Like guys, Peter and John like, did not want to be arrested. I've, I've never met someone who's like, you know what I wanna do today? I wanna get arrested. I want to go to the steps of the temple and I want to heal somebody because I am looking to go to jail. 
No, they, didn't, they were not looking for this, but they were willing to walk through it by faith because they knew who their God was. And part of that empowerment and encouragement came from the word of God. Now, guys, here's what we need to understand, though, is like the word of God is powerful. And it is a place that the church and, and those before us have been resting on. It is something that God has used to encourage his people for millenniums. But we need to understand that, that in the midst of persecution, God's word is a gift to encourage us to endure, right? Let me share 1 Corinthians chapter 3 with you. Right? I think about what, what Paul says here, and he, sa- he, he basically says, look, I don't care what I'm doing in ministry. I know what God's word says about my goal as a missionary and as someone who preaches the gospel. Right? He says this in verse 5. What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. Here's what what Paul's saying. We're going to face times and places in ministry where we don't see any fruit, we don't see anything, maybe nothing but persecution. But we understand that some plant, some water, but God reaps the harvest and that we can continue to be faithful and do ministry the way that Peter and John do it here because God ultimately seeks and saves the lost. And that he can sit there saying, I don't need, I don't need the praise for this. Apollos, he doesn't need the praise for this. Because nothing is done without the work of God and saving the lost. And he sits there confidently resting in the promises of scripture because he knows that's exactly what God does. Now as the church, right, we sit back and we say, okay, one, one of the ways that we as the church in a a turning tide of culture that's becoming anti-church or anti-Christian Right? We can sit back and say, we don't need to freak out about this. We don't need to fight for power politically. We don't need to go looking for influence in the wrong places. We just need to keep proclaiming the gospel. And in proclaiming the gospel, right, we can endure the, the, the possible suffering and persecution we might face by, resi- by resisting and standing firm in scripture, by resting in scripture, but also this. Right? Notice what else occurs here with Peter and John. They, they are vitally connected to gospel community. Right? It says in verse 23, um, they are immediately released from prison, and look at what it says they do. When they were released, they what? Went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them, and when they heard it, what do they do? Lift up their voices together to God. As let me just be honest with you for a second. I unashamedly love the local church. I love it. And some of you guys aren't worth loving sometimes, but I love you anyways. And here's the, here's the truth. Your pastor's not worth loving either sometimes. But I love the local church. It, I am passionate about it. I love, I love you guys more than I love my own biological family, and I am not joking when I say that. I love my mom and dad, don't get me wrong, they're great. But my family on earth is the local church. And they have displayed that to me time and time again. 
And I don't just love the local church because I'm a pastor of the local church. I don't just love the local church because the Bible tells me I should love the local church. I love the local church because I see the presence of God dwelling in his people, and I see them loving and encouraging one another to growth and godliness and making much of Jesus. And I love it. And I will not apologize for it. And as I, as I get to, to sit here and I think about my wife and I was like, God has given us, if you are a follower of Jesus here this morning, God has given you a family. If you are an orphan, if you don't know who your biological family is, if your biological family is terrible and horrible to be around, if you are in Christ, you have a family. If you have a great family, a mom and dad who loved you and, and looked out for you and family that surrounded you and grandparents who poured into you, I, I mean, I, that's, a, that's my story. I still have a better family in the church. That, and here's the deal, right? I need, I need to preface this. Some of that family's a little weird. You know, look around you. There's bound to be a few weirdos in here. If you can't find one, it's probably you. That's okay. If everyone's looking at you right now, you're the weirdo and they still love you. It's okay. But the reality is this. I mean, like, here's the thing, right? All right, sorry, Josh Fetterman. You're not here this morning to defend yourself, but... (laughs) Some of the people in your family, in your church family, will even be dumb enough to from the stage say that the best three Star Wars movies were the first three prequel movies. Exactly, right? Some of you are like, what? He said that? If you weren't here last week, you missed it. You can go watch the podcast. He is currently under church discipline. That's why he's not here this morning, by the way. (laughs) And yet I love that guy. He is sorely wrong on that particular subject, but I love that guy. Because church is a family that God has given us where we grow in godliness and in unity and we walk through persecution and suffering together for the glory of God. Some of the hardest seasons of my life have been since I moved to Gainesville. Planning a church is hard. Moving away from your family and support system is hard. My wife and I walked through epilepsy with our son in those first six months. I, I mean, I think of Josiah's first 60 days, Josiah and Jackie spent 40 of them in the hospital. She lived at Shands. I think her mail started going there eventually. I don't know. You know who was there for us? Who was watching my son? I mean, guys, do you, do you know what I was doing as the pastor of a church plant? Do you know what I was doing during that season? I was preaching sometimes, and that was it. And yet men and women in this church rose to the occasion and led and loved my family well. I mean, I was leading, I was leading a, a community group at that time that I couldn't even be at, and other leaders from other groups were take, taking turns, coming to our house, cooking meals for other people, and leading community group at our house while we were at the hospital. That's love, guys. That's the church. Do they do it perfectly? No. I mean, you know, on this side of heaven, you shouldn't expect that. But man, I love my church family. 
because they have displayed time and time again that they love Jesus and they're there to support one another. And so here's gonna be, here's gonna be my soapbox for just you know, three minutes. Be ready, I've got the mic, you're gonna listen. You are crippling yourself if you are not in authentic gospel community. If you are a professing follower of Jesus Christ here this morning, you are crippling yourself by not being in gospel community. And guys, I, I don't care if it's at Aletheia Church. I really don't. I would love for you to be here. Right? I believe in this church. I believe in what God's doing through us. Right? I believe in our ability to come alongside you and love you well and lead you. But you are crippling yourself if you are not plugged into gospel community somewhere because God did not design the Christian life to be a race you run by yourself. Just think about that guy yesterday who, who set, set the record. He ran a marathon in under two hours. By the way, just so you guys like, have some frame of reference for how fast that guy is, that's a four and a half minute mile time for like 26 miles. What? I'm like happy if I can run a 10 minute mile once and not die at the end. Guys, like, yeah, I ran two and a half miles in the time it takes you to run one, and I laughed and smiled as I crossed the finish line. You know what he had with him? People running alongside of him to pace him. That's how God has designed life with him to be. That if you are plugged into gospel community, you run the race with endurance together, even in the midst of persecution and when it's hard. And I've heard every story for why people aren't in community. It's too hard, baloney. You want to know why gospel community is hard sometimes? Because you want microwave friendships in a microwave world. And if you want microwave friendships, you're, if, you want, you, if you want microwave friendships, you'll get the, the result of microwave friendships. Anybody ever had a Hot Pocket? Everybody ever think that, that was a great decision after you popped that bad boy into the microwave afterwards? Yeah, it'll feed you for a little bit. And you're like, ooh. Your digestive system is like revolting at everything you just did to it. Right? The real food, the real stuff, takes time. Real relationships, authentic gospel community takes time and investment. But guys, let me tell you this, it's worth it. Right? If you will invest in the local church and take time to build roots, it'll be worth it. You want better friends? Be a better friend. Get involved. Invest time. Guys, the way that we have gospel community centered around here is like you cannot be known on a Sunday morning here. You just can't. Look around you. There's 150 some people in here. It's just, it's impossible. We have groups that you can get plugged into that are literally on every night of the week except for Saturday. And if you want to lead a Saturday group, we'll let you help lead one. Right? We have opportunities all over the place for you to get involved and be known on a more personal level where you're going to be loved and walk through things together. But it takes an investment. You know how long gospel communities typically last throughout the week? About two hours. Get, give up two hours of TV. For those of you guys that are students, I promise you that those two hours spent in gospel community will be better than the two hours you spend studying while really being on Facebook or whatever else it is. You're, and then guess what? Just be more committed with your time afterwards. 
Right? And as you're there, you have people praying for you, encouraging you, holding you accountable, and reminding you that Jesus loves you. My gospel community does an amazing job of just reminding me of how loved I am by God. Because I need that. I'm quick to forget it. This is so important because God is desiring to use authentic gospel community to encourage you amidst persecution. And this is how we endure and grow as followers of Jesus. Not solo, but in community. Now the third thing we see here in Acts chapter 4 that God does to empower the disciples to continue to endure in the face of persecution is he helps them to understand that he is sovereign. Or look at verse 24 and verse 28 with me. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and they said what? Sovereign Lord, right? Sovereign God, you're in control of all things. Lord, you are in power. He goes on to say, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. And then look at what he says down in verse 28. To do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. Have you guys ever noticed that no one ever has a problem with the sovereignty of God when things are going well? Especially people in the church. Oh yeah, like new house, thanks God. Right, every time I'm like, every time I sit down with my kids, like it's, it's, and we eat dinner and we say a little prayer beforehand thanking God for providing for us. Like, thanks, God, you rule. You know, oh, God gave me a spouse. God rocks. <laughs> Some of you guys, like, that, like for me, seriously, God rocks. You ever hear anybody that gets cancer saying, thanks, God? Anybody, anybody lose a job? God, thank you for your sovereignty in me losing my job. Ever lose a close family member? God, you're sovereign. Thank you. You're in control. If we understand God, though, he is in control of all things, and nothing that happens that comes to pass is not a part of his ultimate will. And that's what the disciples understand here. Right? Look at the example that he gives here. Right? The Gentiles, the Jews, Herod, and Pilate all conspired against Jesus. What they did was terrible. They murdered an innocent man. Yet, according to the disciples, the way they rest in this and trust God in the midst of all this is they know that this was a part of God's sovereign plan to rescue and redeem sinful humanity. Guys, their leader had just been murdered. They're like, this is part of God's plan. We're going to rest in this. Right, in verse 28, they said, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place, we will trust you. Now, I'm not going to dive deep into Calvinism right now, and I know that disappoints some of you young stage cage Calvinists in the room right now. Let me just say this. God uses the word predestined here. That means it was determined to happen ahead of time. That means God is sovereign and in control. That means he used the wills of sinful men and women to accomplish his ultimate purpose, which was to send Jesus to the cross and die for the sins of mankind. That's sovereignty. And it says in scripture, hey, God planned that. 
So I know some of you guys are like, oh, I don't really like this. It's scary if God's completely in control. Well, the alternative is much worse. Right? Your choices are God is completely in control or God's not completely in control, and then we're left to pick up the pieces. I'm not real confident that mankind's going to do a better job than God could. And if we understand the scriptures here, right, this means that God determined all this to take place so that he might seek and save his people. Now let me, let me just pause and say so, what the sovereignty of God does not mean. This does not mean that God wants everything to pass exactly the way it does and that he's happy about it all the time, right? Some of you, some of you crazy Calvinists out there are like, man, God just loves when I sin. That's not the sovereignty of God. Right? He predestined that to happen. Well, I mean, he used what you did, but here's the reality. I mean, look at Genesis chapter six with me real quick. Just, I mean, if you like want, a, you want proof that God's not always happy with everything that's going on all the time, right? Here's your, here's your Hallmark card moment for the day. Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in, in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only on evil continually. There you go, right? God, here's what God thinks of us. We're evil all the time, always. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. Right? Like, here's what we need to understand, that God is sovereign and in control, and nothing comes to pass unless he would allow it, and yet it does not mean that God is pumped about every single bad decision you or I may make. It does, however, mean that God uses the wills of sinful men and women to accomplish his ultimate purposes, and you can't stop it. God ultimately has a plan. It's to seek, it's to save, it's to redeem and to restore. That's what he's doing. And understanding this, even in the midst of persecution, should be a cause for hope and joy in your heart. If you are in a season where you are being persecuted, for your faith in the workplace or in your classroom or by your family. God will use it for your good and his glory. And here's how I know. A story I shared with you earlier about my son Josiah and his epilepsy and how horrible and terrible that was for myself and our family. I can say on, on the back end of that, having seen my son's epilepsy be brought under control and the love and care of the doctors and the fact that my wife and I even lived in this city in the first place to go to a hospital that had such great neurologists was all part of God's sovereign plan and will for our lives. And would I go back and sign up to walk through that season again? Absolutely not. It was terrible. And, I, and, and there were days where I did not live well through that, but I can show you that, so I can say this with full confidence, that for Jackie and I, we now have a deeper understanding of God's love for us, the love that comes from him through his family, the church, and we have a deeper and more abiding trust in him than we did beforehand. And that came only through persecution and understanding that God was sovereign in the midst of it all. And so we see that as John and Peter walk through persecution, right, the way that they have been encouraged to endure that persecution and continue to boldly proclaim, like Josh talked about last week, the excellencies and wonderful good news of Jesus Christ is by resting in scripture, by being committed to gospel community, by resting in the sovereignty of God, and then look at the fourth thing we see. 
see a vital commitment to prayer. Look at verse 24. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them? And then go down to verse 29 with me. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. What, what does prayer do? Right, what is prayer? Right? Guys, prayer is not contacting the genie in the bottle to give you exactly what you want. That's Aladdin. Right, prayer is petitioning to the sovereign God of the universe that he might move. And we, throughout scripture, we see that prayer has the power to do a number of different things. But primarily, it allows us to seek God, to know him more, and to seek his will. It also has the power to change us as we ask him to move. Because here's what I'll tell you. If you commit to a life of prayer, the things you care about as you ask God and petition God to move will change. God will change your heart. That's just what he does. I want to spend the remainder of our time looking at prayer this morning and specifically how it can be used as a catalyst in our lives for endurance, especially amidst persecution. If you have a Bible, go ahead and turn over to Matthew chapter 6. That's where we're going to be the rest of the morning. And I'm going to teach you guys something that was taught to me by a friend of mine in ministry, a guy by the name of Ted Sin. I think he stole it from Augustine, who stole it from Paul, who probably stole it from Jesus. So... There you go. And as a matter of fact, I know for a fact he stole it from Jesus because we're going to read his words this morning in Matthew 6. And so if, if, you, if you're here this morning, you're like, man, I, I mean, I would love to have a more vibrant prayer life, but it's just not there, and I just don't know what to do, and I don't even know where to start. Here's where I would encourage you. Why not start with trying to pray the way, the way that Jesus taught us to pray? It's a good place to start, right? Jesus, we follow him, we like him, we think he's worthy of it. He might have a thing or two to say about prayer and maybe following that will help us. If your prayers are only ever petitions for God to rescue from some crappy situation, you're missing a lot. You're missing a lot on the power of prayer. And so, so what you see in Matthew chapter six, right, is, is what my friend Ted calls kingdom prayer. It's a, it's a kingdom prayer and it's an, an ability for us to watch. And what we see here is six movements in the Lord's prayer that God uses to teach us things about the character and nature of God, things about ourselves and the ways that we approach God and things we can ask of him. And so we're just gonna kind of move through each one of these and I wanna talk about these. Some of you guys are familiar with this. If you've been in my gospel community or been around, I've worked through this with you. But it, this is a great way where if you want to, in the midst of persecution, endure through prayer, right? just approach God in this way. Approach him in the way that Jesus t teaches us how to pray. Right, so look at what he says starting in chapter uh, 6, verse 7. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this. Now notice how he, he says pray, pray what? He doesn't say pray this exact prayer. What does he say? Pray like this. Now, hold on. If you went to a church like me, right, and you prayed the Lord's Prayer, I'm not saying that what you did was wrong, 
right? But what I am saying is that Jesus gave this to us as a model for prayer, not to be the only prayer we ever pray. Prayer we ever pray. There we go. English, Kevin. Thank you. Bring it back in, right? Not to be the only prayer that we ever pray, right? And so what we see is this. We see six movements that Jesus teaches us to kind of follow and recognize as we're praying, all right? So the first movement, right, is called sonship, right? And it starts out by saying, our Father in heaven. And here's what Jesus is just telling us to reflect on as we're praying this, right? We are remembering that if we are in Christ, if you are a disciple of Jesus, you are reminding yourself by simply starting off by calling God Father that you are his beloved and chosen child. Just think about that. If you are in the midst of a season where you are struggling with habitual sin, you don't need more power and more discipline. You need to be reminded whose family you're a part of first. You need to be reminded that God laid down the life of his only son so that he might adopt you as his own child. You need to know who you are in Christ. And you need to know that in the midst of persecution sometimes, when people are coming down on you and making fun of you, that you don't need their approval or acceptance because you have all the love, approval, and acceptance you need in your heavenly father. And so Jesus just starts out this prayer by saying, our father in heaven. And guys, let me, I'm, each, each movement we go through, I'm just gonna give you one simple example of how you can pray a prayer or say something that is in that movement that would capture the heart of that movement of prayer. So if you are praying and you're like, okay, I wanna start out my prayer time by capturing my sonship or my adoption in Christ, you could say something like this, Father, I am tempted to want the approval of others. Remind me that I already have your approval because I am your son. That's a sonship prayer. You are, you are praying and asking God to remind you of who you are in him, to remind, me, to remind you positionally of who you are as a son or daughter of the king. Now, as you move forward, right, as we move through these movements, right, as we're kind of recognizing who we are, just so you guys know, this is important, by the way, right, because when my kids struggle with something or whatever else, they come to me because I'm dad, and dad can do something, and dad loves them, and dad's gonna be there for them, how much more so will our heavenly father be that way? And so as we recognize this positional sonship, right, we move into the next part, right, where Jesus says, our father in heaven, right, he says, hallowed be your name. The movement that Jesus is trying to get across to us there is a posture of worship. Right? You can worship God, and it doesn't have to be a worship song by Hillsong, guys. By the way, I'm not anti-Hillsong, right? But worshiping God is much more holistic than singing a song. Singing and heaping up praises to God in music and in song is one very real part of worshiping the Lord. But it's also just recognizing who he is. Worshiping God is recognizing him as the creator of being worthy of all things, right? He uses this term, right? Hallowed be your name. That word hallowed means holy, separate, unique, matchless, right? What Jesus is communicating there is, hey, we are worshiping God by reminding ourselves and speaking unto him, we realize, God, there is no one like you on earth or in this universe. 
There is none like you. You are matchless. You are unique. You are the holy one. You are the beloved one. You are separate. You are hallowed. And if you're looking for an example or a way you can kind of incline your heart to worship as you pray, something like this. Lord, allow me to see a greater worship of you in my life as I seek to flee from idols and run to you instead. Help me to see you as the pearl of great price or the treasure buried in a field because you are worthy. And Lord, even when my heart doesn't see you as worthy, forgive me, remind me of who I am in you and allow my heart to swell up with love towards you and worship at praising your name above all else. As we move through sonship, as we move through worship, then we move to the next movement of the Lord's Prayer, which is lordship. It says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It says, where you spend time in prayer, recognizing that God has freed us from the presence of sin, sickness, death, decay, and shame. Either currently or in the future, all those things will be a reality in Christ. You will be free from sin. You will be free from sickness. There will be no more death. There will be no more shame because of our king. And as we recognize those things, we also recognize and ask Jesus to save more people and bring more people into his kingdom. And so if you're looking, if you're looking for a, pray, a prayer to pray, I pray this one almost every day. Father, please send Jesus to eradicate evil and establish your kingdom, whether you want to do it through your church here currently or ultimately send Jesus back as the fulfillment of the promise that you gave to us. Because church, we either get to be an agent of change for the glory of God here on earth. That means helping widows, orphans, the poor, standing up against and, and defending the, the, those that can't defend themselves and asking God to use us to be agents of change to see his kingdom realized here on earth but ultimately looking forward to the full culmination of his kingdom. God help us to realize that. Help us to look at that. And Lord, help us not to be too comfortable here because this isn't home. Number four, the fourth movement, provision. Give us this day our daily bread. Right, what we understand here from this as Jesus teaches us is God provides for our physical needs. Now let me, let me make sure you understand that. God provides for our needs, not our wants, our needs. God is glorified when we rest in him and trust in him and make him look great. That's how we bring glory to the Lord. And when he meets your needs, that's when he's great. Can I just say like some of my biggest problems with like prosperity theology and things like that is they elevate gifts above the giver. Like, like as John Piper once said, right, no one ever looked at you driving a BMW and thought, man, yeah, I want Jesus. I want the BMW. Yeah, I'll follow Jesus if I can have the BMW. It's not the gospel. It's not God. But God does provide in our needs. And let me just remind us of this. Not every need is physical, guys. Some are spiritual as well, and God will meet you in those as well. 
you want an example of how to pray through this, God, provide me with the physical resources we need to accomplish the tasks that you have given us. Pretty open-ended. God, give us what we need to accomplish the tasks that you have given us. If you want me to provide for the poor, provide the means necessary so I can provide for the poor. If you want me to feed my neighbors, give, give me what I need to be able to feed my neighbors. You want me to teach and preach? Give me the wisdom and the knowledge of your word to be able to preach and do that. And he is faithful to meet us there. Movement number five, reconciliation. Forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And this is twofold, guys. This is reconciliation with God and this is reconciliation with others. Right, as Jesus teaches here, He's showing that God forgives us and we seek him for forgiveness for our sins, but we also forgive those who have sinned against us. Those who have been forgiven much forgive others. You probably don't need an example here, but something that's pretty pretty simple. Think of a particular sin in your life and ask God to forgive you for it and free you from its power over your life. Then number six, salvation. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Now, I have heard some really weird and wacky theology over the years about that particular line of the Lord's Prayer. Let me just try to unpack it for you really, really quickly. Uh, In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, uh, will you throw that up on the screen for me, Kyle? Yeah. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to what? Endure it, right? What's the word I've been talking about and using this morning to talk about the disciples and how they're responding to persecution? Endurance, right? right God, God is not putting you in a situation that you cannot get through. So I don't, I don't know what you're struggling with here this morning, but if I can just give you an encouragement here for a minute. Like, God has given you all the tools and everything you need in him, right, to be able to endure. Notice how he doesn't say released from it. He says endure through it. Like that's part of being a follower of Jesus and walking through life with him. Right? But we also see here is that Jesus is telling us, hey, if you're struggling with something, right? if you're struggling with habitual sin or whatever else, you need to be praying about it and you need to be asking God to keep temptation to a minimum for you. And that God is able. Right? Like, anybody ever read the book of Job? Right? Like, like Satan just like walks in and is like, dude, let me take Job out. It's going to take him out. And God's like, well, you know, like not completely. And right, and so they do a little bit, and then Satan comes back and is like, well, Job endured there, so let's do some more. God's like, well, I mean, okay. And by the, by the, I mean, by the end of it all, like Job has lost his family. He's got literally the worst friends on the planet who are like, dude, this is all your fault, right? And he's like covered in boils, and he has no money, right? And through, the, through it all, Right, like Job, like Job, by the way, like Job is not the hero of that story. I just want to make sure we're abundantly clear that like the, the dude barely hangs on. All right, but he endures through the suffering. Right, and I love the end of the book of Job. Job's like standing before God and he's like, God, how dare you allow this to happen? And I love God's response. Like in that moment, right, if you're reading that book and if you're like me and you're like Job, you're like, oh, this is going to be great. Like God is gonna explain why suffering happens and why he let this happen. And I love it. God's just like, hey, so when the universe was spoken into existence, where were you? 
uh, 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 what, huh? That, that's, oh, God, that's not what I asked. Maybe you didn't hear me. Right? Uh, why did you let me suffer? Yeah, I asked who created the universe. You there? God's like, you don't get to ask that question, dude. I'm God, you're not. There's your answer. Some of you guys are like, that doesn't satisfy my intellectual uh, longings. You're not God. You don't get to understand and know everything about him all the time. By the way, if you were, God wouldn't be God. If you were able to understand everything about what God was doing all the time, he wouldn't be the all-knowing, omnipresent, all-powerful God of the universe. And I love you guys. You make crappy gods. You wonder how I know that? Because I make a crappy God. I tried. I tried for 20 years to be my own God. It sucked. I was terrible at it. I couldn't even run one life, much less everyone else's. It's okay. Take a step back and rest. And as you face temptation and evil and the types of things and persecution that Peter and John face here in Acts chapter 4, you can sit back and say, lead us not into temptation, Lord, but deliver us from evil. God, do something that only you can do. Jesus, give me a heart that loves what you love and hate what you hate. That's a salvation prayer. God, give me a heart that hates what you hate and loves what you love. And so what we have seen over the course of the last three weeks, if you're here this morning and you're a follower of Jesus, hopefully Acts 1-8 is the mission statement of your life. For you will be my witnesses when the Holy Spirit has come upon you in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and even to the ends of the earth. That's what we're called to do. That's what the book of Acts is all about, is the, is the living out of that mission statement that God has given his people. If you want to live that out, though, the promise of what we're seeing here is that you will experience persecution on some level. <laughs> it will happen. But if you are resting in Scripture, if you are vitally connected to gospel community, you understand that God is sovereign and you are committed to prayer, God meets us in those places. He's given those to us as means of grace so we might rest in him. And those means of grace can encourage us to witness to the glory of God and see a greater worship of Jesus in our time. And that's why I love what happens at the, at the end of these verses here. In Acts chapter 4, they get done praying and look at what happens. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak with the, your word with all boldness. I love that, right? They don't ask God to stop the persecution. What do they ask for? Boldness. They're like, God, help us to be bold as everyone else hates us. Anybody else in here praying that prayer? I gotta put my hand down because I'm not. Like, that's the type of prayer we should be looking for, though. And in the midst of that, look at this. While you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And I love this. And when they had prayed, the place in which they gathered together was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to what? Speak the word of God with boldness. 
Guys, if we ask God to move in a way that will make much of him, God will meet us. Now, now, I'm gonna ask you guys to pray here in a minute. If we experience an earthquake in Florida, one, we might sink because we're below sea level, but if we make it, we might see God do some amazing things in our lifetime because God wants to meet his people so that we might be bold in witnessing for him. The question is, is are we going to surrender to allow the explosive power of the Holy Spirit, the, the power that changed cultures, the power that changes lives and saves people, are we going to tap into that power by asking God to move? Or are we going to continue to play the safe game of evangelical Christianity that we find ourselves in now? the bubble that seeks prosperity and safety above boldly proclaiming the word of God. I can't tell you what to do, but I know what I'm gonna pray for. I'm gonna ask that God would not remove suffering and persecution from us, but instead he will give us boldness to witness to the love of Christ in a culture and tide that is changing towards Christ. And if we love and endure well, we will make much of him and there's nothing better on this earth. As we take communion this morning, right, I would ask that you do two things for me. One, will you pray through just one of the, those, those movements in kingdom prayer? Whichever one resonate with you, just pray through one of them. Sonship, right, salvation, worship, lordship, provision, reconciliation, whatever it is, and I want you to come up here and I want you to take communion. If you're a follower of Jesus, the, the table is open to you. Come up here and take communion, right, and worship Jesus because the bread and body of Christ, the, the bread represents the body of Christ which is given for you and his blood poured out for you. Come up here and say, if you're not a follower of Jesus this morning, I would ask that you not take communion, not because we don't want you to eat. The hospitality team killed it back there this morning. I mean, there was freaking sausage, eggs, everything was back there this morning. We ask that you not take communion because here's what is happening. When Christians come up and take communion, we are saying Jesus Christ poured out his flesh and blood for us so that we might be reconciled to the Father. And it doesn't mean the same thing for you. Instead, come find me. Come find Pastor Daniel. Daniel, will you raise your hand? Come find him. He's tall. I'm short. Find the short guy or the tall guy. We'll tell you about Jesus how he gave his only life for you. He poured out his flesh and blood so that the wrath of God might be satisfied for your sins so that you might be adopted as a child of God. But if you are a believer up here in here this morning, come up here, take communion, and do so joyfully as an act of worship. It's not an act of penance. It's not an act of sorrow. Jesus willingly gave his life for you so that you would worship him. Do it. It's an act of worship. And then this week, might you rest in these four things. Rest in God's word. Be in community. Rest in the sovereignty of God and be in prayer and see what God might do. Let's ask him to move and use us as his church to make much of him. Will you pray with me?